0: Log Talk Radio. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. This is Jean. I write a blog called Unpickled, and I started it on my first day of sobriety over five years ago. I write my story there and invite you to share your story here. And on this episode, we're going to talk about a kind of a before and after story. So many of our listeners share that personality trait, a feeling that they appear much more competent on the outside than they really feel on the inside. Their comfort zone is in the area of hard work and achievement. And even they never feel truly worthy of the praise that results. And many of us learn as children that we should be good. And then we're left to our own devices to try to figure out how to get there. And in our innocence, we may have thought that goodness was earned rather than inherent. So we become young men and women who live out lives of goodness and are rewarded for our conscientiousness even though it might be founded in self-doubt or overcompensation and we think we have it all figured out, be good, work hard, and be rewarded. And then along comes something that challenges our ability to live up to our own ideals and we can be thrown for a total loop. And that can be where alcohol takes off for people who fit the profile of the hardworking high achievers. And for many, the life challenge that changes that equilibrium for them is parenthood. And a time of life that we are taught should be wonderful, instead turns out to be chaotic and difficult, and suddenly we're no longer in charge and effective. We are on a roller coaster of emotions, guilt, shame, discomfort, boredom, and that can result in a need to escape and numb and then addiction has found the vulnerable place in a previously supposedly perfect life. So now I would like you to meet Karen, and Karen herself fell into this pattern and joins us on this episode to discuss the transition into a difficult time and then how she found her way out again. Karen, welcome to the Bubble Hour.
1: Hi, Jane. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Now, our listeners need to know that we just went through a half hour of chaos ourselves, Mm two competent, high-achieving women who couldn't seem to figure out how to connect this darn system between Canada and Australia, and a... Um, Block Talk Studios are based in New York, so anyway, this is truly a global conundrum, but we made it work. so We did, we did. <laughs> I'm so happy you're here. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for your patience in getting onto the air and, uh, and for sharing your story with us. So I guess I'm going to just start off by just throwing it right over to you and ask you to just tell us a little bit about yourself and about how you got here.
1: Sure. Um, So as you said, I'm based in in Australia, in Sydney. I'm 44. I'm a mum of two girls, um, eight and ten. I work full-time. I have a senior executive role in a corporate uh, business. And my journey with drinking um, never really um, hit Uh, I never felt like I hit rock bottom with my drinking, but it was really having a negative impact on um, my confidence, my self-esteem, and also my ability to be able to uh, parent well. So as a result, the family, I think, has been suffering. So just to bring into context where I am today and and take you through that journey, um, I'll just start with my childhood. Uh, I had a very happy childhood. I'm one of three kids, the youngest with two older brothers. Um, we had lots of good times, nothing nothing sort of negative that you could point a finger at in terms of why did I start drinking. Um, I've always been very self-motivated and goal-driven person. Um, I, When I went to university, I did a business degree and a music degree. So I spent six years at uni and I guess I missed the normal, uh, for want of a better word, uh, drinking uh, games and parties that went on during uni. I actually uh, was very busy achieving lots of goals, um, which now on reflection was really uh, a desire to get that external validation so while I was at uni full-time I had a music studio where I had about 70 students and I taught the flute too. I worked as a professional musician so often weekends I was playing at weddings and corporate functions I played at um, a restaurant two nights a week I <laughs> volunteered on many <laughs> Many committees, you know, social clubs for uni, um, music committees uh, to yeah to promote kids, you know, coming into music, and also worked on a fine fragrance counter at a department store. So I was really really busy, um, and you know, I suppose if I wasn't busy, maybe I would have started my drinking a lot earlier. But when I, when I think back at that time, Jean, I realize I was really really uh, concerned with what how I was presenting to people. And people thought, Wow, she's achieving so much, she's so busy, how do you do it? And that that helped keep that motivation going for me. There were I think about there were times where I did let my hair down and um, and drink at parties um, when I had some time available. Um, and I guess looking back at that time, I did indulge way too much. But in the setting that I was in, it didn't seem abnormal because we're at uni, sort of everyone was doing it. Um, and so um, when I finished university, I moved from a smaller town to Sydney. I got a just a regular corporate role and spent probably the next 10 or 15 years making up for lost time uh, that I missed at uni and so spent a lot of time socializing, going out, drinking, experimenting a little bit with drugs but really alcohol was my my preferred choice. But none of that was really having a negative impact on my life, in fact it seemed to be a great enabler. To uh, widen my circles at work and helped with networking and moving my way up through um, the corporate world, so in some ways that that drinking culture um, was you know regarded well and was would be viewed negatively if you weren't a part of that um probably around the age of, I don't know exactly when, but my mid-30s, I got married, Um, all was really good, Um, still drinking, you know, in those first few years of marriage, everything's still going really well for work. Then we decided we'd like to start a family, fell pregnant pretty easily and thought, right, okay, so this is the next stage in, in my journey, I'm going to nail motherhood also and proceeded to buy a whole lot of books and read up. I had the most detailed birth plan anyone could have.
0: <laughs> I, I,
1: I had, uh, you know, my bag packed, so I had my snack bag ready to go. And of course, nothing went to plan. Um, I, my, in my birth plan, I was going to have a natural birth and no drugs. But, of course, I had to have an emergency caesarean. I was really, really keen to breastfeed, but that didn't work either. Um, I tried for about six weeks to breastfeed. To the detriment of my daughter, my firstborn, she actually lost so much weight in those first six weeks. Um, And... Psychologically, I felt like if I was to give her formula that I would be doing her a disservice. I'd be doing the wrong thing. So I was really pushing myself so much to be able to nail the breastfeeding. And, um, yeah, eventually, I, you know, there was an intervention with my, my mother and my husband just to say, you need to stop going down that path. Your child's health is at risk. So that's I guess psychologically I'd already started down that path of post depression I think six weeks after giving birth. I, I had already felt like such a failure um, just in those first six weeks which I thought were going to be joyous and um, yeah, I felt like everyone else seemed to be able to do it around me. In the mothers group everyone seemed like, Breastfeeding was easy and, and and I'm never the type of person To want to admit That something's not working for me So I think for the next 12 months I was on maternity leave And um, I really struggled with um, Adjusting to motherhood And found myself Because I wasn't in my work environment I found myself feeling quite disconnected and getting more depressed and um, I I started drinking to numb those feelings, felt, I guess that that was um, a precursor to the next 10 years of parenthood. Um, I have felt, because of my personal depression and... The effort that I was trying to put in to do everything right that 's in inverted commas um, I was doing controlled crying when in the first couple of years because I thought that was the right thing to do. I now realize like that my the pressure for me to try and get whatever I perceived to be the right thing to do for parenting really did have a negative impact on my daughter and I think um, my depression and The controlled crying and and that that I was doing with her had resulted in, over the years, her feeling a low sense of self-worth. And we've seen that, um, I guess, the output of that being her difficulty with forming social relationships at school. Um, Can you
0: tell us what is controlled crying? Can you describe what that is?
1: Oh, sure. So... I guess there was a the school of thought which was fairly prominent here in Australia is that babies should be able to learn to self-soothe as soon as possible. So there's definitely um, a pressure to not sleep with your child, not have your child in bed, but to actually um, teach the baby from a young age to be able to soothe them, get themselves to sleep. So it would mean um, letting the baby cry to a, um, to a certain point, go in, pat them, um, but walk out again. And eventually, you know, after whatever, one, two, however many hours, they would fall asleep, but they'd fall asleep from exhaustion. And now, I mean, the thinking back then and the research was showing that that was a you know, uh, a good thing to be doing with your child, but now, I guess the research has changed again, and well, not that the research has changed, but more findings have been coming out to say no, actually, that's going to have long-term impacts on a child um, and their ability to be able to bond with the parent and feel and um, to feel secure within themselves and their relationships. So if I had my time again, Jean, I would absolutely have my baby come and sleep into bed with me. But it was a really big thing. I don't know if it was um, where you are. If if that, if, um... it was, Yeah,
0: I think I read the same book. <laughs> okay, right. I think I, I read the same philosophy, and yeah, we. I think we did try that too, where you would let them cry for a little bit and let them cry a little bit longer. And and I remember it was awful as a young mom. Mm-hmm. I felt. I, well, I always felt like everyone else knew more than me about being a parent, so I listened mm. to everyone's advice and um, mm. never went with my gut. And um, I and I feel your pain. I I I know exactly what you mean about then you worry. I mean, my kids are in their twenties now, and and I'm still thinking, oh, did I do that right? <laughs> They're great kids. Yeah. They're wonderful humans. But I think as moms, mm. we really blame ourselves. So that for you, really, um fueled your depression as well then, it sounds like.
1: It did. Um, And I guess, yeah, it did fuel my depression. I felt guilt over it. And the more I could see as my daughter's been moving through the years in school um, and seeing the struggles that she's having, forming friendships, um, every struggle she has is a failure of mine. And then that would lead me to further depression and drinking to numb those feelings. So I guess my thinking about parenthood over the last 10 years, I've never felt so incompetent at something that is supposed to be, the, which is the most important thing you could ever do in life. I felt so incompetent, such a failure. Um, and And the drinking just was a tool I used to numb that, so i did see i did see a therapist in those early years um which helped a little bit, but I think the drinking turned into a bit turned into a habit, and that that then further fueled my depression as we know alcohols mm-hmm. are also depressant so um, i made the decision in about December two thousand and fourteen. I I was just sick to death of myself. I was drinking every day. I was waking up every morning feeling like crap. And the inner dialogue was you're such a loser. You're such a loser. How can you do this? You promised yourself you wouldn't do it, but you're such a loser. So that just kept going for such a long time. And I just got to the point, yeah, for whatever reason, uh, there was no one big thing that happened. I just couldn't take being this person anymore. So I did some Googling and I can't remember how I came across Hello Sunday Morning, but I did. Um, Hello Sunday Morning is uh, an online movement in Australia which is about changing um, I guess how the community views drinking and seeing it as a lifestyle choice more than a cultural um, thing to do. So they encourage people to sign up for a challenge of take three months off, take six months off, take 12 months off, just just a challenge to take a break and see what life brings you once you remove alcohol from, mm-hmm. from day to day. So I signed up for 12 months, but I uh, posted it on Facebook and said, I'm going to do 12 months alcohol-free. Who wants to join me? And put a link to Hello Sunday Morning. And, of course, got loads of comments back. People, you know, really surprised. Most people fairly encouraging, finding that quite like, admiring me for doing it. Um, and so I started that journey of, and, and I was reasonably successful for the 12 months. I would say that I probably cut down 80% of my drinking, um, but I still had blips. I still was battling in my mind, oh, uh, well, because I've gone for, whatever, six months. I think I could just have one. I think I can moderate. And sometimes I could. Um, but m- more often when I would drink, there'd become that little inner obsession of, with, okay, I don't want to have a second. Do you want to have a second? Sh- no, I shouldn't. Should I? And just it, just the the mind game oh, that you play with old. yourself about it. That's yeah. um. So so that was sort of 12 months and then I had um a work conference in November 2015 and I um I accidentally started drinking then, which sounds ridiculous. But what someone in my team got me uh, what she said was it was non alcoholic drink, it was supposed to be a whatever, a ginger cider or something. And she genuinely thought it was non alcoholic, but it wasn't. It was alcoholic. And I suspected after the first one that it was alcoholic but I didn't let on that I that I didn't let on about it and so I just kept going and kept having more and so at the end of that work conference I had really had way too much and really really embarrassed myself and so then the next month in December um December the 17th uh 2015 I just made peace with it and just said I'm done with alcohol forever I'm done playing these games myself. I haven't got the energy. And my daughter was going through such a tough time at school. She'd she'd had one close friend and and that friend had sort of moved away from her and she was very much on her own, isolated. She was crying every day, not wanting to go to school. She said she didn't want to live. and, And I couldn't stop crying every time I'd talk about it just seeing how much pain she was in and how um, how she just felt this great sense of shame about herself and, and just so, and had such a lacking of self-worth. I think that more than probably the, the drinking at the work conference, it was what was happening to my daughter just just changed something in me that I thought I have to be, as well as I possibly can to get my daughter through this. Um, so, um, and I've been nearly eight months sober now. Um, and it's, it yeah, life is much better now. And my daughter's doing really well, making great progress. With, in terms of the tools that are, that, that I've used, I've been seeing a therapist well, all of last year I was seeing a therapist sort of weekly which really helped and my, my daughter is seeing someone as well. My husband and I see someone just to talk about parenting and really, really talking about having a circle of security for children um, and it's just made a such a significant impact to our family life i've gone from feeling like having a family stripped the joy out of life for me because all I could see was failure and no one was happy to now a life of feeling really proud of myself and proud of my children and really, really enjoying having the family I mean don't get me wrong this you know kids can still be very testing. <laughs> Um, but I can. we can recognize such a difference um, And that's just I think the mindset for me is Instead of all those years thinking I really want to give up I really want to give up I actually don't think that anymore I think wow I've gained so much I don't mm-hmm. feel like I've given anything up at all I feel Yeah
0: It's like it's freed you to To dig in right it's kind of have uh-huh. space for you that to allow you to to tackle the things that life is asking of you right now yeah i i I dotted some questions down as you were talking, just things that you said that that brought up questions for me when you talk mm. about your years in university or mm. uni as you say it's so cute, you guys shorten everything there um <laughs> I wonder, like, just listening to all of the things that you did, which was amazing. Mm. But I almost, you know, now I might look at
1: mm-hmm.
0: at you at that stage and say, "Hmm, do you think you are numbing with busyness?" And that when parenthood, which is a chronic lack of busyness, and yet there's no control, there's no productivity, there's just, you know, there's so, there's so much downtime. Like it's really hard to numb. With busyness when you're a parent, because you know, you're mm. like your life is just—it's like someone. I felt like someone just put the brakes on my life mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, and I, you know, I was willing to to give my children the time they needed to to be children, and yet it was really hard in the moment because I didn't have all this wisdom and insight that I have now. Looking back, I just was in it. So anyway, this my question was like, do you think? We sometimes say, be careful when you quit drinking because we play whack-a-mole with addictive behavior. So you might be able mm. to quit drinking, but then you might start eating a lot or shopping mm. a lot where you're just numbing mm. with a different behavior. Mm-hmm. But I mm-hmm. wonder, for you, do you feel like drinking was sort of taking the place of busyness?
1: Because yeah, definitely. a
0: different coping tool. And when you got to that part, like, to that point where you first decided that you wanted to quit, where you were uh, getting ready to join the Hello Sunday Morning 12-Month Pledge, were the people around you aware of how much you were drinking? Did anyone know how you were struggling or was that all, did you keep all that hidden?
1: Yeah, no, I kept it hidden um, because I've always been concerned with what other people think of me um, I was conscious enough to know that at my age, you just you, it's just not cool anymore to be drinking the amount I was drinking when you're out. So, so I did withdraw socially. Mm-hmm. Um, I would leave um, nights out earlier or just not go. Um, and I prefer to stay at home and then I could drink in privacy and know oh, no one's going to judge me. Um, yes. And I would encourage my husband to go out. Um, he had, you know, one mate who's um, who's still single and, and, you know, fancy free. So I would encourage him. Yeah, you guys go to the pub, go out. That's fine. I'm happy to babies. I'm happy to stay at home with the kids. Um, and and I, just...
0: <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> How nice of um, you. You're a giver yeah. mm. <laughs> but it was really so you could drink the way you wanted to drink without scrutiny yes yeah. exactly that and sounds very familiar to me I, I, I think I fit a very similar profile and I think a lot of our listeners do and the ironic thing for a lot of us is that we think that there can't possibly be anyone else like us because we're so unusual you know we think we know what an mm. alcoholic is and it isn't mm. You know, mm-hmm. a high achiever, hard worker. It's
1: mm. you know,
0: someone with a lot of outward problems. And mm-hmm. um, did that mm-hmm. did that make it hard for you to really reconcile yourself with knowing that there was a problem? Did you did you just keep raising the bar of maybe if I do this, I can hide it and keep overcompensating? Or
1: yeah, look, I was overcompensating by. Working really hard um, in my office job, um, trying to get, you know, more promotions and, and c- to continue moving up, but it eventually got to the point where that, that I was working harder, but I wasn't producing the results because I was just too tired, um, and the output wasn't really high quality, I suppose, like on reflection. And it was making me grumpier in my home life because I'm feeling stressed that I'm not achieving as much as I'd like to. And I've been through, I would say, the last probably five to six years, maybe six years ago is when I first thought, hmm, I think I might have a problem with this. And when I first raised it with my husband, he was stunned, absolutely stunned. I had, I remember the morning we woke up. I woke up really early in the morning. I couldn't, I couldn't sleep all night because I was was on my mind. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh, I've got a drinking problem. And I remember um, putting my arms over him and shaking him awake and went, "Wake up! Wake up! I think I'm an alcoholic." just
0: was like, "What? What?" the?
1: And for him, he's. It's been really hard for him as well, um, picking up the slack. I suppose with the family, with me having my bouts of postnatal depression, and then for him thinking, "Oh my God, I've got a wife who's an alcoholic," and he didn't know what that meant either. Um, it just sounds so horrible. Like, um,
0: and, and what's he, his first response to negate that and say, "No, you can't be. You're too
1: yeah, yeah." Yeah. Yep. He, but he didn't know how much I was drinking,
0: right?
1: um, Because I would hide that from him. Um, So look, I think there's even people today, like my very close friends, I've shared, I've been very open with about my uh, battle with alcohol, and I think there are some of them that don't think that I have much of a problem. But it doesn't really matter. Only you know. You know yourself yeah. whether you do. Yeah. And others might, what you view as a problem for yourself, others might think relatively, that's not a problem. But if it if it's impacting you negatively and you see it as a problem, then that's all that matters.
0: You know, I'm glad mm. you said that because I, I have struggled with that myself. I think I had a fairly similar profile to you and I have had even... Some family members who, you know, think that I'm not a real alcoholic, but I think, well, what is a real alcoholic? Mm-hmm. I was addicted to alcohol. I was drinking every day. I was hiding it. I was miserable. And I'm so much better off without it. I mean, mm-hmm. health-wise and mentally, I just, it it was such a terrible burden. And, uh, you know, I don't know... <sighs> I think when you've spent your life being a good girl, and and defining yourself by how other people see you, which is really what overachieving is all about, it can be a real bitter pill to swallow. To think, well, now, like I can't win because I don't want to hit a low bottom and and be an alcoholic that everybody can see. I don't want I don't want all these symptoms to become externalized for other people to uh-huh. see because I know. Uh-huh. Uh, but there's. A part of me that would really like the validation. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yes.
0: Of, yeah. of everyone agreeing with me, but you're right. It does not matter. Um, if if you know in your heart and you can stay motivated by knowing that, I I totally agree with you that that is enough. And really, mm. what harm comes of being alcohol free? What what? True. You know, we don't need the label. We don't need a diagnosis. No. Um. It's just. Uh, it's just so wonderful that you found that out. And I'm so another question I had for you was about when you when you sort of did try starting to drink a little bad and you tried to moderate, I've had mm-hmm. a lot of people write to me that go through that and I I can't think of anyone who's written and said, Gosh, that went really well and I'm really happy with this. Now maybe that's because they mm-hmm. go on their way and don't write, but mm-hmm. I hear from so many people that it's just an awful spiral and in the end I think it seems pretty clear that it's almost easier to not drink than to try to moderate have you found that
1: absolutely like a hundred percent you know it's interesting my husband and I were talking about it last night and and he said like, he's been incredibly incredibly supportive um, I just I know that you think you can't drink And he said I, I just can't relate to it at all Because I can have a drink And, I, and one is fine I, I don't think about a second Like it's not something that comes into my mind And he said um, You know There's I kind of think you've got your shit together now um, Maybe you could drink And and he said, but I understand for you, you think you can't. I said, I, I said, it's just it's a mindset for me. It's not, I don't think to myself, I can't, I can't. I just think I'm happier not even entertaining the idea. It's, and Jean, I used to be a smoker through um, my uni days, even though I a, I'm a musician, um, I smoked and I smoked a lot. Um, I probably smoked a packet a day for quite a long time, and I only gave up smoking when I felt pregnant and that was pretty hard um, but i I guess that's I can relate to that same mindset once i 'd stopped smoking for whatever it was a year. I just stopped thinking about it instead of um, when I was a smoker and trying to moderate my smoking you 'd always be thinking oh have i have I got a packet of cigarettes with me?' Um, am I going to be able to buy cigarettes where I'm going to? Am I going to be able to smoke there? Like that consumed a lot of your thinking. It, yeah. And that's what I found with alcohol, too. It just, even if I could moderate, if, it, I would still be obsessively thinking about it. Yeah. So now I don't even think about it at all. And it's freeing. It's really freeing. Yeah. Um, And it's funny what you
0: say, your husband's perspective, that, oh, you have it together, you can probably drink now. You know, I think that's a really common misconception that what people don't really realize is that there are neurological changes, at least as I understand that there are. I am not a neurologist or a scientific researcher, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I do think that there's some research has shown that, like, the pleasure-reward circuitry gets permanently altered, Mm. and, and so just to go back and moderate just doesn't happen for some people once that, you know, permanent change occurs. Yeah. Uh, every time I say something about that that I've heard, you know, that a study has found or something, then I, I picture, like, you know, being wrong, found wrong in a few years. But I, mm. for me, that just knowing that, that, you know, mm-hmm. That I I'm not a little bit person. I, I I used to smoke too, and before that I sucked my thumb. Like I almost oh, had to too. start smoking yeah. as a teenager to stop sucking my thumb. It's just yep. like all yep. the things. I just want to do all mm-hmm. the things. I just I mm-hmm. need the comfort all the time. And yes. and that's just I know that that that's something that's so hard to understand. In fact, when you were saying about your husband saying you know he can have one drink and not think about a second one, I'm thinking like the second or third one while well, I would be having the first. And sometimes yeah. I'll say to my husband, like, where my brain is going, just so he could see, like, how my thinking is different than him. Like, if we're watching a show and, you know, I'll say, like, you know, I'm watching that person drink that scotch and I can feel it burn down my throat while yeah. we're watching this. Like, that's, mm-hmm. you know, it, I bet you're not having that reaction right now. You know, and that, just from mm-hmm. having some of those conversations, he's. I think he's starting to really realize, like, oh, yeah, you really see this differently than I do. Um, but I I want to get come back to your story a little bit. I'm pulling you off track. I we kind of wanted to compare the before and after because you really have had such a metamorphosis and kind of you're it's like you're of yourself for maybe the first time in a long time. And I just wonder mm-hmm. what words you would describe yourself use to describe yourself. You know, before while you were drinking versus now this. Karen 2.0 person that
1: you mm. are now mm. so um, my daughter's teacher last year talked about um, the kids e- each each child has in them uh, a ball, a golden ball and um, she would encourage the kids to do things um, that would help make that golden ball inside them glow. So things that would fill them and nourish them, nourish their soul. Um, And that image has really stayed with me. And I think at first when my daughter told me, um, it didn't have much of an impact because I don't know where my ball was, but I didn't feel like I had one at all. Um, but now, when I think about that, I do feel this golden ball. I feel um, there are moments where I can stand, and or, or we might be sitting having dinner as a family, and I can just be really enjoying the moment of us all talking together and soaking it in. Um, I'm I'm so much happier. I mean, getting a lot of joy out of everyday life. <laughs> I don't need amazing things to happen to be getting joy. I'm getting joy out of the smaller things because I'm more, I'm so present now. Um, I consciously choose to be more present, Um so, when I've picked my kids up and come for dinner, I used to, even when I was drinking, be still trying to do some work emails as I was preparing dinner and sort of half heartedly answering their questions. Now I don't. Um, I give them all of my time. Work can wait. I, my family is number one. So, when I think about before I gave up the drinking or before I stopped, drinking, um, that, that ball was black and it was dissolving, disintegrating. That's yeah. really how I view it. Um, so I have spent probably in the last 12 months, 12 to 18 months, Introducing things into my life, like meditation, I find really, really helpful. I um, use an app called Headspace, um, and that's easy. I can do, you know, you start off doing 10 minutes and then maybe move to 20 minutes, but that's really helped me become more mindful and and present. Um,
0: Did you ever have pictured yourself doing that when you were in the numbing with busyness stage of life? Could you even... Have tolerated that? Do you think?
1: No.
0: Although there were people that I would look at,
1: I can think of one person um, who I, I didn't know very well, but I would look at her and think. And I knew that she did yoga and she was, you know, health conscious. And um, she just has this look of like a healthy glow and a serenity about her. And a calmness, even when work gets full on, there's complete calmness. And I really looked at that and longed for that. But mm-hmm. God, I was so far away from that. Yeah. But now I, I feel like I'm there. I feel a complete calmness within myself. I can't believe I'm not stressed about work. <laughs> I'm, I'm busy, but I'm choosing not to... I've really cut back on the hours I put into work and I'm really comfortable with that. Um, at the end of the day, it's, I don't know, it's, a, it's work. It's it's a corporation. What really matters are people and your family. So,
0: and Do you find yeah. that you've got that like at a point now where even when you're tired or stressed or upset, do you fall back into some of your old thinking patterns or have you kind of got to where... This is your new normal now This feeling of
1: calm Um, Look I'm realistic to know I think to think There will be times where life Will throw me some curveballs and I'm not going to have this same Calmness Mm -hmm. There was a few months ago we um, Had a restructure At work and The team that I head up Was going to be significantly Impacted And I found it very hard um, going through that time, and this was probably about four months ago. I I felt like I was having a breakdown at work. I could not stop crying at work. It was ridiculous, and I I've never been one to cry. I'm not. There's no crying at work. No, i was so uncool. Right. <laughs> Sitting in a meeting going, I hope no one asked me a question because I'm going to burst into tears. Just couldn't. Um, and then my manager said, you know, take the week off the next week because I couldn't talk. He'd tried to talk to me and I couldn't talk cause I just kept crying. I just felt um, so raw with emotion and and sort of worked through that with my therapist and I think from not having any alcohol, there was just, I was going through a really difficult time, but there was nothing I had that could numb it at all. There was nothing. So I was just so raw and I'm really, I wasn't tempted to drink, um, which I was surprised at. I took the week off. I went to the beach. I did my meditation. Um, I started yoga. Um, and just did the things I knew rationally I should do to make myself feel better, even if I didn't feel like it. And, and I did get better um, and could handle that. So I'm not sure if I answered your question. I can't remember what it was. But
0: No, no, that's great. Well, I was curious about it's, when you were up, when things were tense, how you mm. handled it. And so you, it sounds like you you forced yourself to do the things you knew would work, even though you didn't necessarily want to do them or, you know, like you didn't. Yeah. And, and then they work. And I picture us, you know, 40 years from now being 90 year old yogis on the beach with Mm -hmm. silver buns that, you know, look back on these silly 40 something year old women that we were. (laughs) And I think it's funny, you know, when we had to learn to calm down, because I really think the more you do it, the more it just locks in and uh-huh. becomes your new way. I, I feel like we spent mm. 40 years learning, you know, some to, to cope the wrong ways, and now we, can, we have to undo some of that and then build oh. new ways. But I think we can mm. relearn and it mm. can become more normal. I really believe in that. I know, you know, we have about 15 minutes left. And one thing we, we're keen to talk about was with what the drinking culture is in Australia and what the recovery culture is there because it's. A, I think things are moving a little bit faster in Canada and the U.S. than, than they are other places. Um, What's it like there? What's it like to be a sober woman in Australia these days?
1: Yeah, um, drinking is very much part of our culture. Um, It's viewed, um, it can almost be viewed negatively. Um, Well, it is by some. Negatively, if you're not drinking, it's like an insult. Why aren't you drinking? It's Christmas. Have a drink. God, you know, what's one? It's not going to kill you. Um, When I was... Because uh, I am a social person, um, and i I like talk I like being able to talk through problems with people, but with this problem that I needed to fix, I felt like there was no one I could talk to that i could that could relate so i 've talked to my husband about, it, but he couldn 't relate so I did the googling um, and like there was hello Sunday morning, but i for me i 'm not I'm just not the type of person to get onto online um, forums. I, I I like that one-on-one contact. Um, so there, I couldn't. I still haven't found anything. Any there's AA meetings, of course. And I thought, all right, well, I'll give that a go. But I felt very. I don't know. It almost made it worse for me. I felt ashamed about having a problem with drinking. I felt like going to AA was reinforced that there is something shameful about having a drinking problem because otherwise why would it be some secret group in, you know, Mm. the back of a hall? Um, So it wasn't celebrated as an achievement to not drink. Um, So I really struggled with that, not having any... Any tribe to to talk to. Um, so the bubble hour, I have been listening to. I don't think I listen to it every day now, but, but I would listen to it every day. I don't know for twelve months, um, for a long time. I just found that really helpful and felt Yay. it felt like that. That was my <laughs> yeah my. I felt connected and that there were people I could hear talking that that. Um, I could relate to their stories. Um, so the word recovery is not used in Australia at all. So if you go searching for recovery, you're not going to find anything mm-hmm. in Australia, well, I haven't been able to, related to um, drugs and alcohol. Um, so I guess in one of the, uh, from listening to the Bubble Hour, I came across, Dawn Nickel as she recovers, and I heard her talking about these wonderful retreats for women in recovery. I'm like, and it sounded like it was a really uh, um, what's word Um, inspiring thing to do, where these women are celebrating their sobriety. Um, Because you don't hear anyone celebrating that in Australia at all. It's not. It's just a problem you try and fix. It's not actually a celebration of choosing sobriety. So going to that we retreat... Need a, we need a
0: change. We need a cultural shift there.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think Hello Sunday Morning is trying to do that, but it's online. So for me, that I like to be able to connect with people. I, I, I find it hard to connect with people in that way. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's, I mean, deep down I know that it will take people like myself, sort of putting my hand up and saying, being out, out and proud, you know, yeah. um, and sharing are my you, story. Are you
0: open about your sobriety at work and with the people around you?
1: Sort of. Um, I don't know what people think, and and I'm proud of myself that I'm caring less and less what they think. So that's a mm-hmm. that's a tick, <laughs> but. They, because I just, they knew that I was on a journey of trying to do 12 months alcohol free. But that's because I said, I want to lose weight. You know, want to see what life's like. I just want to throw a challenge to myself. So I kind of packaged it up, not to say I had a drinking problem, but it's just, ah, you know, I love having stretch goals, you know. Um, But now... Um, and I have lost, like I've probably lost between 10 to 15 kilos in, I don't know, 12 months. I'm looking a lot better and I get that re- external reinforcement from people at work. But I think they don't know that I struggled with alcohol. I would never talk about that at work. Well, I haven't talked about that at work. But they know that I do not to because I, I, I just really like how it makes me feel. Not drinking, and I've started to drop in a bit. In, in if people ask and say, look, I just, actually, I I used to really enjoy drinking, but I I found it hard to, I don't know, to stop moderate, and I just find it easier and and better for me to not drink. So I don't know, maybe partially I'm out. Hmm. Don't.
0: The light, but I think, you, can't, you can't contain all that sunshine. You know, you just, I I think people just, they see there's something different about mm. people that have that kind of peace in their soul, just like you noticed it about other people, and maybe they're looking for clues. They'll start to find out.
1: But I'm mm. excited for
0: you for what lies ahead. Mm-hmm. Something is funny is happening with the... Um, with the computer here that is recording us. And I'm so scared I'm going to lose you again. And I'm so excited that we got this to work and got this to air. So I don't want to have it crash on us before we go. So I want to wrap this up neat and clean. I want time uh-huh. to thank you um, uh-huh. before we go off the air and lose our connection because your story, will I know it will resonate with a lot of listeners. Um, it's such a surprise when we realize we're not alone, and that yes, addiction can happen even to people who have look at, like they have it together on the outside and are making it to work and are doing all the right things. Um, that pain can still be there, and that can translate into addiction, and and um, that can be a really terrible burden that a lot of people try to hide. And I think just hearing. Your story and how joyful you are now, and how free you are, and how you used your drive and your competence to turn this around—the um, mm-hmm. same thing that was sort of dragging you down to some extent—I think it's just it's it's a beautiful thing, and I I applaud you and I adore you, and I'm just so happy that you're here and um and that other people are getting to hear about you as well. Oh, if thanks, if someone hears themselves in your story, what words of encouragement? would you offer them? Um,
1: I guess it, it, it may that it will probably be hard at first, those first, whatever, few months or six months. But I think eventually you come when you change your mindset and realize, and, and yeah, if you change your mindset, um, the gift that you will receive from making those positive changes in your life are just that they far outweigh any joy you get from drinking. So, I've had many social outings in the last year, more than I had when I was drinking in, in the year prior, but where I've not been drinking. Others have been drinking. But I've had such a great time because I've been able to really be present and enjoy that. So it is possible, absolutely possible, to have a really great time with your friends and family um, without, I don't know, without the numbness of alcohol. It's better, so much better. There's There's only upsides.
0: Thank you. That is beautiful. So thank you once again for being here. And um, I want to thank all our listeners as well for being very loyal and supportive and encouraging not only of the show but of one another. And um, I just want to let the listeners know that they can email me. If they have feedback on the show or questions for Karen, I will forward them to Karen. and. We will get you an answer one way or another. If anyone has topic ideas um, or would like to be on the show, you can email me at thebubblehour at gmail.com. If you're too shy to be on the air, just send me something you'd like me to read for our listeners, a poem, words of encouragement, or your experiences in addiction and recovery. Many listeners are still struggling with alcohol, so to you I send a big warm hug, and I know Karen does too. You're not alone in this. Things can be so much Better As you just heard. So hang in there. You have everything you need to change your life. We are all in it together and we just, there's no judgment. You know, if you're in a crappy place, um, you're not alone. We've been there and there's a way out. The Bubble Hour is funded by ShiningStrong.org, so please visit that website to see how you can support this podcast. Please find me at unpickledblog.com. Follow The Bubble Hour and Unpickled on Facebook and Twitter, and thank you so much for being a friend to this podcast. Until next time, take good care. And, Karen, good to hear your beautiful voice again.
1: Thanks, Jane. You too. Thank
0: you. Bye now.
1: Bye.